This is the Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. We are joined today with Carmen and, again, our very special guests, Lindy and Craig. We have an exceptional good news podcast today from Craig and Lindy in regards to new funeral changes that happened for them that they're going to dive into. But first, we want to give a Palmerston North update. So we have received quite a few emails and messages from insiders regarding how they're going to recoup the cost of this Palmy party that happened. And I'm going to let Carmen dive into some of the numbers to let everyone know What kind of money Bruce Hales may make off of this? Go ahead, Carmen. Well, it's kind of funny because we've got such a large variety of different reports this time. Sometimes when you get a report, you just get 10 more reports of the same thing. And this time it appears like they're being a little bit creative. Um, So the initial reports that we got, we got from sort of UK, Canada, Australia, not right in New Zealand. Um, And it's been reported that at the care meeting, a letter was read and they're expecting worldwide um, the brethren to pay $20 per head to cover the cost of this special midweek fellowship meeting in in Palmerston North. So when you figure that out, you you can guesstimate there's 50 some thousand people at $20 a head you will get a couple million dollars. Well, then interestingly, um, the news has come out of Palmerston and New Zealand area. And in New Zealand, if you attended the Palmy party, you are going to be invoiced an extra $100 per head to cover your uh, subsidized travel to Palmerston North. So if you guesstimate around 8,000 visitors went to the Palmy party, that would be another $800,000. So close to about $3 million intake for the Palmy party in total. Um, so then we got to thinking, gosh, that seems like a lot of money for a, a two-meeting Palmy party. Because it literally was two meetings. It was one meeting on Wednesday and one meeting on Friday. Zero meetings on Thursday. Um and so we started thinking about security costs and estimates at about 120,000. Uh, private jet chartered from Sydney to Wellington up to somewhere in the ballpark of Palmy and then uh, a vehicle cavalry to escort um, the Mogpog into Palmerston North. Um, and that's right. Well, the, the charter jet, the estimate was about 70, 75,000. And then, of course, all of the vehicles. Security at about 120. The the um, the bill from Vendemia. We had an insider that actually witnessed the bottle list and the bill from Vendemia. And for the two days, it was over a hundred thousand. And then there would be the food cost. But even when you add all those up and sort of throw in a few incidentals, that only comes to about six hundred thousand. So we're just kind of assessing and thinking about that. He's going to take in close to $3 million 
And we have identified about 600,000 outgoing. I wonder where the extra 2.4 million is going. Any ideas, Craig? What an absolute rot. That, that sounds like an absolute rot from, from what you're saying. That's unbelievable. I can't work out why the average Joe and Jane blogs in there isn't doing this math and asking some questions. Shouldn't charitable institutions and church entities have complete financial transparency? Is anybody asking on the inside, asking where this money's going? Well, and the interesting part is, even if you didn't personally attend the meeting, so you're not personally paying for your part of the Palmy Party or yeah. the subsidized travel, if you watched it on Zoom, you are expected to pay your $100, your $100 invoice as well. What? So even the pregnant and elderly people that stayed in the Auckland meeting room and watched it by Zoom, even they don't get a break. They get a $100 invoice for having the honor of watching the Palmy Party. Oh, my gosh. That is shocking. You know what? The brethren and, and other people around the rest of the world, you know, absolutely ridicule and rubbish kind of the televangelist type people who appear to be in religion for the money or the people who, um, or the people who you know, say that there's you know, you've got to you've got to come and give your tithe up the front or give money up the front of the stage or whatever. We mock and ridicule those Christians who do that. And yet it appears that Bruce Howes is doing exactly the same thing, but he's he's just doing it under a tro a Trojan horse, right? Of saying, yeah. Oh, here's a conference that, by the way, you didn't get to choose to come to this or not. You were told to come to it. But and then afterwards, you know, here are these bills and you have to pay for that privilege. That that's just a rort. And then you'll pay for the privilege all over again when you have to pay for the white book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and even in their care meeting on Saturday, well, the care meeting notes and recording we received, all the money that went out in that care meeting at that locality all went back into Bruce Hales's pocket. It was either through a trust or through the Palmerston North. Nothing Nothing went out to anybody else. Everything funneled back into Bruce Hales's pocket. So, I mean, he may have come, put on a good show. There might have felt what felt to be like this huge relief of a party. But in the end, everybody pays for it. And then some. Wow. So to, clarif to clarify what, what you're saying, Cheryl, in the good old days when we used to go to a Maple Creek care meeting, there might be $2,000 that gets dispersed. Um, but generally that would get dispersed to probably 15 to 20 different people or, or, or money pots, just call them money pots, whatever, you know, different causes or, or, or relief funds or, or whatever they go to. So you could take $20,000 and split it 15 or 20 different ways. Um, the most recent uh, care meeting, the particular one that we were told about, there was about $4,500 to be spent. And the initial chunk went straight to Bruce Hales. Then the next chunk went to the Palmy Party. And then the next chunk went to the all-men meetings in Sydney in December. And then the next chunk went to the Grace Trust. And the next chunk went to the Vision Trust. And by the time the $4,500 was dispersed, all money went actually back to one source. And that's the, the picture that we're trying to compare for you. How times have changed. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. And we should let the viewers and listeners know a care meeting is the first Saturday of the month where each locality has, so each place, city, town sits down and disperses their money that they've collected from everybody for the month. So it could go to uh, other different priests or heavies, whatever you want to call them. And in this case, everything went back to Bruce is what we're referring to. Right, right. So normally it's collectively decided where is this money going to go? Although um, when I say collectively decided, from my memory as well, it did appear to have already been written down or a certain kind of agreed amount was already actually agreed upon and it was very uncommon for someone in that congregation to um to contest or 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 challenge or change where that money was going and and also um i mean we probably don't need to go into all the detail now but um like i'm just assuming there's there's other overlap and giving happening not just at the care meeting right like people have already in new zealand those people have already paid their hundreds or thousands of dollars for their flights and transport um like that's that's already that's being paid separately and people are already um in their monthly regular outgoings already paying money to entities connected to Bruce Hale such as UBT so this care meeting giving's additional right to those other mm-hmm, kinds exactly, of ways yeah. and means yeah. of expenditure yeah yeah. We'll have to do a podcast another day, digging into this stuff a bit more, because I think it's I think it's shocking, and I think that um, people need to be asking for far greater transparency over where this money's going and how it's being spent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think and- it's extraordinary to think like if you if, and Lindy, this is probably a question for you. When you think of money that comes into a church, it's it's your tithes, it's your offering, and most churches, I mean, there would be the general operating expenses or whatever, but. You wouldn't think of that money being used for a party, a booze party, a food party. You know, that's not just generally a church. You can't really think of a Christian church doing that. Am I off base here? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's not It's not activity that I've heard of a mainstream church doing. Yeah. As on a technical point, the, the care meetings are on the Saturday before the first Sunday of the month. And so this most recent care meeting was on Saturday, the 30th of September. Right. Thanks, Craig. Weird, weird region. That is true. And in that care meeting was new rules that were laid out too. And I wish that I don't have the letters right in front of me right now regarding some new rules that Bruce was laying out. Well, actually it didn't, it was, didn't come from Bruce. It was concerned elders again um, regarding trade shows. Uh, what else was on there, Carmen? Um, I'm not staying in motels and yeah, not no going staying, to places no, where there's motels, no brethren. Yeah. But, Hang on, that that's actually that's a bit upsetting to hear for me because um, trade shows are a really really important business networking and and sales and marketing opportunity. Um, and I'm really confused about why Bruce House or, or why the the concerned Universal Elders would disallow something that um, would directly contribute to making businesses more successful. Why do you think that they are not allowing trade shows? Is that because um, I've also heard that there are often trade shows in locations without brethren and people are going and staying in motels to attend? And having a holiday. So it was becoming, so in this letter, it was talking about, like you can still go to trade shows, but they have to be absolutely necessary, right? So- I mean, from what we had heard was that people were using them as holidays, right? People were out having fun like they should, 
right? It of was, course, right. Because it's it the only, great. It was the only valid option to have a holiday. Again, for viewers and listeners not familiar with the Brethren, you are not allowed to go on holiday in the Brethren. Like you categorically can't even go on an overnight tramp because you might miss one of the meetings um, that evening that you're meant to go to. Like you can't go to um, to Ibiza or you know, California or wherever your holiday destination of choice might be, you're not allowed to have leisure off. And so I guess what I'm hearing you guys say is that, I mean, I remember back in there, the only way you could travel would be if you came up with a business excuse. Like I remember my, um, I wanted, our family wanted to go and visit our relatives who'd been moved to Argentina and the Brethren. But again, you couldn't just go and see your family members because they were your family members you had to, dad had to come up with a business investigation opportunity in Argentina in order to take us. Um, so I'm guessing that's what they've done is that people have used this business trade show thing to enable them to visit all sorts yeah. of countries. It was a break. And they are enacting the orbit there. They're, so if you do need to go to a trade show, um, it will have to be approved. So they, they did talk about the approving things through the orbit, um, through orbit. So orbit is their app that you, if you need to go somewhere, you've got to put all your information in. It obviously goes to a heavier priest in that locality and they have to approve it. So it, the orbit was mentioned in the letter. What if you just book regular flights with an airline yourself? Is that not allowed now either? No, all no, travel plans no. must go through orbit and they must be approved by an elder in your locality. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it was... Like the, we talked about last last podcast about the push pull that Bruce does, right? So he goes to yeah. Palmy, has this huge party, and then literally care meeting the the weekend after, I guess it would be, right? Is or the care meeting after that, he pulls right back. So this is a classic cult yeah. move, classic leadership mm -hmm. move by a cult leader, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean. I feel bad for those people that get stuck in that or don't see it and just get thrown on this roller coaster ride of this push pull, push pull. I'm giving, I'm taking away. I'm giving, I'm taking away. Yeah. And another quick warning for all of our watchers and listeners. Um, when you have a Zoom meeting um, and you are watching it on your UBT computer or you're zooming in on your TV, remember it is tracking your location. So you can't go camping and take the computer with you or the TV with you. It tracks where you're watching the Zoom meeting from. And a lot of a lot of people have got busted and are in a lot of trouble because they did not realize that Life 360 is tracking them wherever they go. So oh if you God. are being a very good peep and you're watching your Zoom meeting, but you're watching it at the campsite, that's a no-go. Because it knows you're out there camping and having fun, and that's not allowed. It's so and, 1984, right? <laughs> and they, oh, my humor. I just have to. They really do track it. Like we had, yeah. I, Carmen posted that one insider that sent us a message. They are, they they track you. They have phones that are under review and under surveillance. So yeah. Joke. Anyhow, along with where. I'm going to let Lindy and Craig kind of join in on what was going else was going on right before this whole Parmy party had start started. So yeah, go ahead, Lindy, explain to the listeners and viewers of what you guys were experiencing when this was all going down. Yeah, well, shoot, where to begin, Craig? Um, 
Um, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump right back and um, set a little bit of a scene here. Um, so yeah, we would love Craig and I would love to share today about um, a wonderful woman called Anna Simmons, um, who was my nana and who was Craig's great aunt. Um, so yeah, she was a wonderful woman who was had spent most of her life in the Exclusive Brethren Church and had married a man in there. Um, but she'd actually only joined when she was 11. And I'll let Craig share a wee bit more about that because he is a fabulous historian, especially of um, family lineage and, and history and that type of thing. Um, so actually, Craig, I'll let you do a little bit of that scene setting. And then I just want to talk briefly about the letter I sent to the Brethren a year ago before we head into, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Anna was my great auntie, as Lindy said. My grandpa, George, was her younger brother. Um, they came into fellowship in 1949. Their parents had both grown up in the exclusive region, as they were then called, but had both left as teenagers, sort of in the 1920s, um, and spent most of their lives out of the exclusive region and were very critical of the exclusive region. Um, you read through their letters, and through the 1930s, they thought the exclusive brethren were a dead, lifeless bunch, I think, were the words they used. Um, but our great-grandpa, Alf, was dying of cancer, and the exclusive brethren basically love-bombed the family, trying to get them back. Um, and in 1949, um, they did come back into the exclusive brethren. And the thinking from my grandpa in later years was that um, his father knew that the exclusive brethren, for all their faults in the late 1940s, early 1950s, were going to look after his widow and three children. Um, but what that meant is the three kids had this early life outside the brethren, and so Anna was 11 and my grandpa George was nine when they came back in. So very strange experience for these kids being baptised into this ultra-conservative church, the exclusive brethren. And so I think that's really important to understanding Anna as she had this independent childhood. She didn't have the brethren coming at her for the first 11 years of her life. And so she never, um, just stop me when you want me to, when I've got you up to where you want to be, Lindy. But yeah, no, that's good. Anna, yeah, okay. um, Came in when she was 11, then when she was 13, her father died. Um, and that, yes, so that's Anna um, with my grandpa, George. Um, and right through when she was a teenager, Anna never agreed with the exclusive brethren. She didn't want to be in the church. She thought they were harsh and um, uncompromising and unscriptural in some cases. Um, and she had asked a lot of questions as a teenager. Um, again, that's uh, Anna and George together. And um, when she asked questions of the brethren, she was told that, um, uh, well, they compared her to the people who um, put Jesus on the cross. Um, so asking questions as a teenager and the brethren, this was in the 1950s, meant that she was no better than the murderers who had killed Jesus Christ. And that wasn't enough to put her off. And she could see that there was a split coming in the Exclusive Brethren in the 1950s. This is when JT Jr. was um, going head to head with um, 
Cal, um, and she had decided that Cal was a nicer, more gentle version of the Brethren movement, and that when the split came, she was going to go with Cal um, because she didn't agree with James Taylor Jr. She thought that he was harsh and unkind um, and not representing what she saw as Christian principles. And when the split happened in 1959, um, the infamous Central Hall meetings where doctrine of separation was sort of began to be set in place, um, she had backed herself into a bit of a corner because she'd fallen in love with Lindy's grandfather, Rob Simmons, and they had married in 1958. And so when the split came in 1959-1960 and her husband went firmly into the JT Jr. camp, she had an agonising choice. It was either her husband and their baby or her convictions. And she chose to um, swallow her doubts. Um, she wasn't going to give up her husband and baby. And it was a fateful decision, really, wasn't it, Lindy? Um, mm. she, she decided to suppress her doubts and stay in the Brethren for the sake of her family. This was in 1959, 1960. Um, and that really set in train of what happened mm. for the rest of her life, really. Um, yeah. And Lindy can probably pick it up from there. Yeah, yeah. That no, that thanks for sharing that, Craig. It's so interesting, eh? We we forget sometimes what our older um parents or grandparents have been through in terms of what they've lived through with the movement. Um, yeah, like being being there for those those significant events like the bringing in of more extreme separation and, and other kind of battles between leaders and, and the decisions that have gone along the way. Um yeah, so Anna yeah, Anna continued to, as Craig has set the scene, Anna continued over the course of her life to have this this struggle, you know, that um, she she was what I think the Brethren would call an independent thinker, you know, and by that they simply mean somebody who thinks for themselves um, and who... Um, who has who who doesn't just blindly hook line and sinker accept whatever the elect vessel was saying. So of course the brethren use a phrase like that in a very derogatory sense and associate it with you know um, spiritual rebellion. But actually, arguably, it is um, it's a holy thing to do. It's a righteous thing to do. It's a person um, living, trying to live in and and think and find um, you know. No, scripture says that people will stand to account for their own choices, you know, not, not not for someone else's choices. And I think that was the kind of thing how Anna viewed it was that she was she had her own sense of integrity before um who she believed God to be around what was right and what was wrong. And for her, um, a key part of that was to honor her husband and and her children and her commitments there. But uh for her that did not um extend to just complete blind acceptance of everything that the leadership of the brethren said or did and of course um like many of people in her era she she uh was 85 many of our older people have seen huge changes and swings and roundabouts of what um what brethren leadership have done and and um when they've enforced something and then years later turned around and said that they were sorry all that kind of thing which must be very very deeply destabilizing um, I know, I know it was, I know it was for Anna. 
So, um, you know, she, she lived through lots of those horrific things that people have talked about, like, you know, pets being suddenly banned, um, books being burned, like she she had a collection of Christian authors and um, Christian poetry books, things like that. And there came an edict at some point that all such books should be banned. And so to her great distress, um, her and her and Rob did do that along with photographs there went there an edict came out at some point around not having photographs too many fo- you know photographs of your children's school photos things like that and so she burned all of them in an effort to be diligent and to um you know toe the line which and then in, in later years it was sort of said oh no you know we don't need to do that anymore and it was quite distressing for these people who have lived through these things and done irrevocable things um like burning family photographs and photos of their children. Anyway, um, I'm kind of, you know, getting getting a little bit off the path here. But so, yeah, Anna on the outside was a, was a devout little woman. Um, she, you know, had twinkly brown eyes and she was short in stature and she'd always wear a headscarf, especially, you know, when she went out shopping and that sort of thing, as you were meant to do. Like she, she, was, she was genuinely devoted. It wasn't, um, it wasn't something that she put on she genuinely was a person who really wanted to honor her christian faith um you can see her there in that photo with her husband rob um and yeah there's another photo of her there george's uh sorry is that who, who are those people is that her mother and george yeah so that's my grandpa george in the middle anna on the right and their mother our great grandmother ruth on the left yeah, yeah. and so just a, um, a quick note as well, um, Craig may bring in this later, but George was excommunicated in his, was he in his 40s, Craig? He was 40 in 1981. He was 40. He was excommunicated when he was 40 um, because he was disagreeing with where the brethren were going and he felt they were going away from a simple gospel and general Christian orthodoxy and, and going more and more into extremism and sort of... Um, idolization of a world leader so we might we've got um he's got he'd written a letter to the wellington assembly about that which we might be able to share because i remember when i read it i was shocked at how similar it was to the letter that i wrote bruce hales in 2008 it was like wow this letter was written decades earlier and it was almost identical it was um really fascinating for me anyway um so yeah so anna like Craig said, um, was devoted to her husband and her children and and devoted to following God. And so she'd wear a headscarf and she would, you know, her and her husband dedicated thousands of hours to the brethren. Um, they ran and rostered all the break system and all the fellowship, the fellowship meeting and interchange system and things like that. They, they yeah, they devoted themselves to serving the brethren. Um, and she was, she was a very faithful woman. But you know, she never lost that ability to think for herself, and she also never agreed with extreme separation as the exclusive brethren hold it. So, um, you know, she knew she had relatives on the outside who had never been in, um, and she continued, like people she'd known as a little girl, and she continued to write to them over the years as the decades, decades unfolded. And after I left, some of these people she wrote to, now women in their 70s and 80s, um, I managed to track them down or they tracked me down and some of them have given me bundles of letters that Anna wrote 
And in them, she's pouring out her soul and her struggles with the extreme edicts of the brethren, um, but also her desire to keep, you know, looking after her family and and to honour God. So, um, so she, yeah, but all of this was unknown to those of us on the inside, or, or mostly unknown anyway. There have been a few people who have told me they knew she kind of had this inner conflict. But, you know, for me growing up, um, and the brethren with her as my nana. I never saw all of that. I just saw a devout, a devout woman. I mean, there are a few things looking back, and I think, oh, okay, yeah. Like she, she was the first person to give me a non-Darby translation of the Bible. She gave me a new international version translation of the Bible because she said, you know, here, read this. It might help you to read something in more modern English that helps you to understand. Um, and, you know, I do recall that she had photos of, she's got a daughter out, Kate, and who has five children, and she had photos of them not very hidden um, in her dining room up behind some other photos. They, they were hidden, but they were not, you know, completely disappeared. Um, so, yeah, but she was she was a devout nana growing up, and she 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 would encourage us to read the Bible, she would encourage us to ask questions. Um, her favorite verse, I remember asking um, her, what, what, you know, what's one verse that you would give me to hang on to for life? And she said, um, God, it's in Hebrew somewhere, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. So in other words, she was like, seek, look, you know, and um, don't be afraid to do that. And God will meet you there, which was kind of cool for, for, for me. Um, anyway, I'm probably getting way off track here, but oh, yeah, so... Just, again, a bit more of how her story overlaid with mine and Craig's journey has been very similar, was that, um, um, yeah, when I was when I came to leave the Brethren, um, I had questioned the leadership and also came to believe, came to realise I didn't believe in Bruce Hales as being the man of God and that kind of thing. I couldn't see it anywhere in Scripture. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Got a bit of a cold. Um, and... I was being made to leave my family home and I was devastated at the thought of losing my relationship with Anna because, um, yeah, she was a warm and loving, kind presence in my life and her and her husband came around to say goodbye to me and I remember that I was, like, I was sobbing. I was lying down and I was just sobbing and I remember um, I just couldn't bring myself to say goodbye to them. Like, I just physically couldn't do it. I was distraught. Um, and she knelt down by me and whispered in my ear and she said two things that I've just never forgotten she said she said God is with you and she said I will never cut you off well for an exclusive brethren person to say those things wow. it's shocking because every like bear in mind that everyone around me was saying the absolute opposite mm -hmm. everyone around me was saying you're going to be dead and gone to us and like I actually had priests praying over me saying that God was not with me and saying that, you know, saying God, she's in Satan's clutches, open her eyes, you know, and all this type of thing. So to have my Nana whisper the opposite and say, you know what, God is with you, um, was so shocking to me. And for her to say, I will never cut you off. I was so shocked because here was I thinking I was grieving the loss of her forever, that I would never, she would never talk to me again, all that type of thing. So, same with all my other relatives. For her to like whisper that to me so that others didn't hear, I was like, okay, you know, what is this? And sure enough, so that was the year 2008 when I left. 
Sure enough, in the ensuing years, she secretly kept in contact with me. So she would use a calling card so that the number didn't show up on the phone bill. And she would ring me um, when her husband was out and she would watch for his lights coming home in the driveway. And, you know, when she saw his lights, she would quickly hang up. And she would also write to me and to others. And I'll shut up now for a minute and let Craig share a wee bit around what her relationship with him was like. But, yeah, the reason why we're giving our listeners this character sketch of this woman is because we're setting the scene um, to describe what happened in the funeral because um, she, she has just passed away and and we would like to share with you some really unprecedented um, circumstances that happened there. But yeah, just a quick character sketch to describe to you who this fascinating lady was. Mm. Yeah, my relationship with Antiana was much the same as Lindy's. And I, when I was a teenager, I used to call her, you know, once or twice a week and we'd have these conversations that went for hours and she was sort of full of advice and insight and all these interesting little details about life. You know, she'd always make time for you, wouldn't she? Um, yeah. And she, you, had, you had her full attention. And as I got older and started having doubts in the brethren, I, I don't even remember how it first came up. I just knew that Auntie Anna was one of the only people in my life that I could share my doubts with without being judged for them. And so I would tell her, what I thought about the brethren and um, and over the course of time she started opening up with what she thought of the brethren <laughs> um, which was a huge risk and by this point she's a great grandmother in her 60s or 70s, a massive risk to be telling a teenager what your doubts in the brethren are but it's I think she really because that's fascinating hmm. to me because she never shared any of those with me like she was accused of that after I left. My family accused her of influencing me, but we had never had those conversations that you're talking about. Yeah. We hadn't we hadn't had those. It wasn't until the day I left that she showed me that glimmer. Yeah. So it's intriguing. But you left what six months after me or something? Yeah, I, I left I left after Lindy. And I think a lot of the conversations I had with Anna were after Lindy had oh. left. And yeah. Auntie Anna and I were reflecting on Lindy having left and what we thought about it. Um, and it was very much, and I was talking about leaving at this point as well, and Auntie Anna was very, very much coming at it from the point of view of I wanted to leave when I was a teenager, and it's far too late for me now, but it's not too late for you. Wow. Um, and this was this was unheard of coming from, you know, someone your grandparents' age. She should have been trying to get me to stay in, and she should have been yeah. pleading with me and begging me not to go out into the world. And instead she was almost doing the opposite. She, she never told me that I should leave, but she's like, yeah. well, if you do leave, then this is how it would work and this is how this would go about. And, you know, you have got family on the outside. There's all of my cousins and, you know, Lindy and her daughter Kate and so on. So she was very practical about it. Um, and lots of these conversations that made it clear that she was definitely not on the brethren's side. Um, and... The priests got wind of this. They got wind that she was talking to me and also that she was still in touch with Lindy. And I remember at one point she got a priestly visit for talking to me. And I was still in the brethren at this point. Um, but the priests went round and sat her down and ordered her to stop talking to me because they thought she was a bad influence. Um, and it was that was one of the things really that helped 
push me toward the exit. Like if there was one person who could have persuaded me to stay in the Brethren, it would have been Auntie Anna. Yeah. And the priests banned her from, or tried to ban her from talking to me. Um, and it had the opposite effect. Um, and as with Lindy, it, she she was great at, at wiggling her way around the rules. And so the priests had sat her down and were like, you're not to call Craig anymore. And I was talking to her afterwards and she said, oh, well, they've told me that I can't call you. And so, and and my husband, Uncle Rob, you know, he's said the same thing. She's like, well, I've, I've promised them that I won't call you, but I haven't promised them that I won't answer the phone if you call me. <laughs> And similar with um, at some point she got Rob found out that she was talking to me and banned her from doing that. And um, But I think, again, she would ring the people I lived with and she would say the same thing. I haven't been banned from talking with you. So she would call the people I lived with and get an update on how I was doing from them and have a, you know, really lovely conversations with them as well. So she she found ways and, like, again, it's not because she wanted to be devious. She wasn't a devious person. It was um, it was a woman who was absolutely torn apart on the inside between her conflicting desires to care for and love human beings on the outside who she still felt that she had every yeah. right to, to care for and love um, that, that didn't need to suddenly stop because they had left the brethren. For her, that strong, strong separation boundary just meant absolutely nothing, um, both as a human being and as as a Christian. So, yeah, it's not like she was, you know, yeah, trying to be this wicked, rebellious person. She was trying desperately to find ways around these strict rules in a way that could, like, alleviate her conscience. And I get that, right? Like, she, she drew a line at explicit lying, um, but she she was comfortable if there were other opportunities presented themselves that weren't it's incredibly direct. creative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and um, she was she she hated it. She was living yeah. in such torment. Like she wasn't trying to deceive anyone, but she could not, in good conscience, cut us off. And I remember talking to her about going to the meetings that was when I was starting to not go to the meetings anymore and she that just wasn't an option for her because her husband uncle rob was like deeply dedicated to the brethren and so you went to all the meetings and i remember her telling me and it always stuck with me that she said she went to the meetings as little as she could and sat at the back and tried not to cry um and i just thought what a terrible 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 position to be in at the end of your life like no part of her wanted to be at the Exclusive Brethren meetings and she had no choice. And I think how many other older people must yeah. be in that situation? Because we know it's um it's not just her. And I think of all the older people I have heard from since leaving and, you know, their letters about how sad and lonely they are and how now, you know, they're in their 70s or 80s in the Exclusive Brethren looking back on everything that's happened and kind of having this moment, what might have been, what would my life have been like if I had left when I was younger? Especially the generation that went through Aberdeen, right? Like that's, my heart goes out to those people that, that went and witnessed and felt what Aberdeen was like and how the exclusive brethren, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church is sitting today. And they're, I mean, everybody's feeling 
those same anticipation of something like that happening. Yet these people who have, you know, devoted how many years of their life to this and sit in that on that same precipice that they experienced however many years ago, it's got to be hard for them. Yeah, that's mm. right. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's, we've got a couple of, I mean, there's so many letter excerpts from, from Nana that we could share, but to share a couple, um, Craig, I've got a couple of those ones that you shared earlier here. She, um, she said, this is in a letter to someone on the outside. There is so much about our community that has troubled me greatly over the years. I have felt trapped for most of my life. Um, and yeah, she was writing to George at one point and she said, the contact with you has renewed my hope and courage that our Lord will break these chains of thought that are binding, that have bound so many over the years. May you be freshly comforted in your lonely pathway, dear George. So this is her writing to her, yeah, her, her brother who'd been excommunicated and lost his wife and children, um, Craig's grandpa. And um, and she said, yeah, in, in another letter to one of her cousins on the outside who'd never been in, she said, the biggest conflict over the years has been, can I continue where I am, wearing the mask of conformity and rebelling within? So, yeah, it is a, it is a sad, it is a sad painting. Um, and, yeah, and yet she was a person who uh, did, um, yeah, do her best to love and care for those around her. And so many brethren and ex-brethren have sent me messages talking about her um, her love and genuine care for people when they came for the break or, you know, that kind of thing. She definitely did her best where she was. And um, like a lot of older brethren people, she's got so many children, you know, she had eight children and um, most of those have gone on to have five or more children themselves. So she's got dozens of grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And that was another conflict as well that I think a lot of people have is They've got so many children and grandchildren on the inside that they feel responsible for and, 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 you know, that they know they will lose if they dare to challenge this stuff. And so this, you know, the old um, adage, isn't it? Faith, fear and finances, keeping people in the brethren. And I totally agree. I think for Nana, it was um, largely family that was keeping her in the brethren, uh, not the other two things. I think the calculation as well for some people like Anna was that they could stay in the Brethren and have secret contact with their family outside of the Brethren. But if they were outside the Brethren, then all their family inside would yeah. definitely cut them off. So the only way to try and play both sides was to stay in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a little character sketch of who of who Anna was. Um but then in the last few years, she actually developed dementia and ended up getting put into a uh, secure retirement kind of uh, rest home complex that that uh, I hear these days is increasingly common for people to do with their elderly brethren members. Um, and while this was sad on the one hand, the, the unexpected silver lining for me anyway, or those of us on the outside, meant that... Um, you know, when she was at home living with her husband, we couldn't see her because she would, um, you know, she was forbidden from that. So there's one one photo there. I don't know if you want to, could you brief, briefly bring it up um, of me as a young woman with Anna and she's got a headscarf on. And so that, that picture, oh, if you jump back, oh, sorry, it's, yeah, that one. Um, so that was me sneaking to visit 
and at her house when her husband was still working. That was when I got engaged because I wanted her to meet my um, fiance. And um, that was quite funny because she welcomed us into her home and gave us a cup of tea. And she also gave us a USB stick with a whole lot of family photos on it. And these were family <laughs> members. These are family members I hadn't seen for years. So it was like really heartwarming for me, um, but really naughty of her, you know. Um, but you can see her big twinkly eyes there. And if you jump to um, the one of her in the rest home with me and my children. Yeah. So in, so in that one there, that was us. I mean, my kids visiting her in, um, in the rest home. And so that was, yeah, better. We didn't have to do this kind of sneaking to try and see her. We could just turn up to the rest home and... Um, and go and see her and you can see in the corner there there's a pin board with a whole lot of photos on it um, she had a number of these pin boards up around her room which obviously brethren relatives had put up and they were filled with photographs of her children and grandchildren but the really sad thing obviously for for someone like me visiting in there was that there were no photos of me or my kids and no photos of Kate her other uh, Nana's other daughter and her five children um, you know, none of those photos were anywhere to be seen, even though, you know, for years and while she was in the rest home, I continued to take photos in there and to, and to write to her and, and um, give her cards and photos of my kids and that. Um, but yeah, these pin boards were really hard the first time in particular that I saw them because there were all these photographs of my relatives, my my parents, my siblings, who I hadn't seen for over a decade by this stage. And so, you know, I'm looking at the pinboards, trying to recognize faces. These young men who were kids when I knew them who have now got jaw lines and, you know, are wearing the brethren shirts. They're um, lovely young women with babies who I've never been told the names of those children. And yet I know they must be nieces and nephews. Like those pinboards were really hard to see. Um, and I've had multiple other accounts of former members telling me similar stories of leaving photos, leaving a scrapbook of, of, their children on the outside and coming back you know the following month or whatever and it's just disappeared so that was like distressing as well as wonderful to be able to go and see her and spend that, that kind of time with her about a year ago I started to think about um what am I going to do if she passes away and my grandpa died as well and you know I was not notified or welcome to anything to do with um, seeing his body or or saying goodbye to him and things like that just got me thinking about it um, and I realized I have to I want to kind of anticipate this and prepare for it and so I wrote a letter to my uncle and the brethren um, and and I said if Anna gets sick you know I said Anna has kept in contact with me over the years she didn't keep the separation um, I love her. She loves me. Um, if she gets sick, you know, and it looks like she's kind of heading towards her deathbed, <coughs> I would really like to be notified so that I can come and say goodbye to her in person. And then I thought, you know, stuff it. Why not as well? I would like to request to attend the funeral service and the graveside ceremony. And I know that normally brethren don't attend, sorry, ex-brethren don't normally attend the, the funeral service, but I thought, why not? They're supposed to be... They're saying they're a mainstream church now um, in many places around the world. I'm not actually 100% sure in New Zealand, but um, halls are supposed to be public places of worship. 
you know, I, I want to be notified and to be able to attend. And I was like, you know what, I'll be respectful. I'll, I'll, I'll wear a skirt or whatever. I won't shout out or do anything. I just want to be able to be there as part of closing that chapter of Anna's life. So I wrote to them asking for this and I got no reply tried again a couple of times and and they eventually did reply and um and they said I don't know if the wording in front of me but they basically said um you're not welcome um and they said this is only this this opportunity or this privilege is only open to people who are not opposed to the testimony and tearing our position down um which I I was quite surprised by because at that stage olive leaf network was not launched and I was not doing anything to tear their position down. You know, like, I yes, I'd spoken to a couple of media journalists a couple of times, but, you know, it's not like I'm going around planting <laughs> bombs or inciting people out or anything. I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm just, as a stay-at-home mum with my toddler and my baby, I'm honestly not that wicked. And yet here I was being banned from a funeral for being, for tearing the position down. So I, I asked them, what do you mean? Can you elaborate? And I got no reply. So that was the end of that. Um, but then, lo and behold, roll on. Was it only last week? I'm already losing track of the time, Craig. Was it only last week, the palmy thing? My gosh. Yeah, so, yeah all of a sudden, Wednesday morning, um, somebody who somebody got hold of my number who's on the inside in the Brethren, not a relative, and sent me a message saying, I've just heard that your nana's died. I'm so sorry. And it's like, whoa, okay. Um, so, of course, I immediately rang my dad, who was excommunicated a couple of years ago, told him he'd heard nothing. Um, I told my auntie Kate, who's on the outside, she had heard nothing. And so then we left with this weird thing of what do we do? Like, do we contact them and ask what's happened? Or, you know, do we sit tight and wait? And we, we decided we'd give them a few hours to contact us on, in the hopes that they would. And and they did um, by the end of the day, a bunch of hours later, sure, but they did contact us. They contacted my father and asked and, and told him that um, his mother had died. So, um, so then, yeah, my dad, on behalf of us, wrote an email back to them saying, we would like to come and see her body. We would like to come to the funeral service. And we would like to attend the gravesite ceremony. And, and he as well said, I've got no desire for conflict. It's just that she was loved by people out here on the outside. And we want to be able to honour her. And, and we believe that um, he also quoted the faith and practice document. Yeah. Because um, even though we're not in the UK, arguably there's a universal standard, right? Yeah. And it, it's got a particular clause in there specifically for former members to be able to attend funeral proceedings. Um, and, yeah, at first my uncle just emailed back and said basically that just my dad could go and see her body in, in the home, and that's all. And and so dad sent back and said, you know, no, we we want more than that, and it's not just me. There's, there's a whole bunch of us. Um, and so then we heard nothing for, like, three days because, you know, the the party party is sudden is rolling out as well, so you know Anna chose a funny time to die, didn't she, Craig? <laughs> like, literally, it's Bruce Harris was arriving in the country. She's like, nah, nah, I'm out. 
I'm out of here. Yeah. So it was it was literally Wednesday morning that she died, which is exactly when all of the brethren all over the country were mobilizing to get to Palmerston North. Um so it was quite funny timing. And also, Craig, um, do you want to just share briefly? Because I do think this might be part of the piece about you doing a media piece and the brethren being very aware that that was about to hit the papers. Well, I mean, they're always super aware of public attention when these things are happening. And they had had, not just me, they had had journalists asking questions of what was going on. So I suppose from their side, there's a, quite a high chance that anything that went badly at a funeral that happened before the weekend was going to end up in whatever stories were written. Um, yes. And, and especially given that you were Anna's great nephew and mm. you are a senior journalist in the New Zealand media scene. Mm. Yes, which they've just think, overtaken. <laughs> I think um, like when you look at the, the outs that were connected to Anna, it's people like me and Lindy and Lindy's brother Braden of rat poison and for me, like all of the people in New Zealand that have caused the most trouble for the Brethren in recent years are somehow connected to Anna. And so this was like a highly volatile potentially situation for them and they couldn't really afford to, to <laughs> get it wrong because it could have just blown up in their faces. Yeah, you're, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. So, yeah, over those three days, you know, we're sitting here waiting to hear, are we allowed to go and see Anna's body? And at the same time, we're getting all these reports rolling in about this this conference happening in Palmerston. And, you know, we heard reports that Bruce House had preached on care and compassion. And we were like, oh, my gosh, are we going to see this put into practice? Are we going to receive care and compassion or not, you know? And we were trying to figure out, yeah, is this going to apply to us? Why did Bruce preach on care and compassion? Genuine like care and compassion. He probably, didn't, he probably didn't know at that stage that Anna had died, but it's like, brilliant. I'm glad you preached on this. Now let's give you an opportunity to put it into practice. Um, and, yeah, and Craig had Craig was preparing those articles. He, he wrote them, and so he had contacted Doug Watt himself, uh, who's a Brethren elder, for media statements. So they they knew that Craig was um yeah about to release these articles and yeah we have no doubt that they were highly concerned that he might write something negative about them connected with perhaps a funeral. Um but yeah so we're sitting and waiting and these you know the days are going past and I'm going do I book flights to Auckland um Kate's daughters in the South Island and all her children do they book flights like you know, we, we were trying to figure out what to do. Um, and then I decided to book flights anyway, regardless of what might happen. And I was glad I did because all of the flights were sold out anyway. I think in the airports were crawling with brethren for the conference. Um, <laughs> like there was a heavy load on the airlines. There were like literally several thousand people all of a sudden um, going, including a bunch of them going through my local airport in Wellington. So, um yeah, booked flights. And then at 5.30 p.m. the night before the funeral on Friday, um, an email came through from the Brethren relatives saying um, something really shocking and good news for us. They said, we have booked an hour in the cemetery chapel for you to spend with Anna, uh, with Anna's body. And then they said, we will move the body into the graveside area 
and then you can have some time there alone. So again, for the viewers and listeners who aren't familiar with this, um, with what normally happens, um, what normally happens when someone dies on the inside and their outside relatives, the outside relatives are not allowed to attend the funeral at all. That's held in a brethren meeting hall. Um, and it used to be when I was in the anyway that everyone had to come to the funeral. So whether you were at a business um, or whether this, you were at the school, you would don your headscarves and your meeting attire and you would come um, to the Brethren Hall for that funeral service. And then a significant number of people would also attend the graveside ceremony. Um, and it was outsiders were allowed to come to the graveside ceremony usually but they were always had to stand at a distance. And not so much allowed as it's a public place and they couldn't physically stop you from showing up. Although, yes, although they used to, they would, they would get devious and they would tell the outs that the funeral, they were going to be at the graveside at 2 p.m. and then you'd show up at 2 p.m. and it would have been and gone. Oh, it got moved to 10 a.m. Did nobody tell you? Oh, we're really sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. You're exactly right, Craig. There's multiple, multiple harrowing stories of people being buried and only telling their their family members, only telling the relatives after the fact. Yeah, and devious, there's multiple stories of, yeah, funeral times being shifted, things like that, and it seems like it has all been intentionally done to stop outsiders participating at all. And, yeah, you're probably completely right that it's not so much that they were told you can come to the gravesite. It was, yeah, they couldn't stop outs from from coming and standing at a distance. But it's it's there's some really sad stories out there, really hard of people who have yes are forced to stand at a distance while they watch a parent or or a loved one be buried, and, and they're just completely held at a distance and made to feel like um made to feel like you know horrible rejects sort of thing. So. Um, um, when my great-grandmother Hoyle died, there was a punch-up over her grave because she had six children in the brethren and four children out. And when all of the outs tried to come through to pay their respects, they were blocked by the brethren and it ended up in a physical altercation, which is like such, such a disrespectful way wow. to send off someone that you love. That's so disgusting. Oh, my gosh. There are some really hard stories, eh? Absolutely heartbreaking. Like this, this area of funerals is is really yeah. There's some some real extreme behaviour being shown by the brethren over the years, and a lot of pain, a lot of damage caused. Um, a lot of people who still feel a huge amount of hurt. Yeah. So so to kind of put that into context, to for us to receive this email was absolutely unprecedented for the brethren to actually allow outsiders to be alone with a body, and um and to be able to have some time with her. And for them to leave the body in a secular funeral chapel is totally unheard of as well. Um, and also for us to be allowed time alone at the graveside before the grave was closed, that's that's like unheard of Unheard as well. of, yeah. yeah. If it has been, if outsiders have been allowed to step forward, it's still been under the close supervision of brethren. Whereas what they were saying to us was, you know, you can do this and we're not going to be there. Um, you know, in retrospect, it's quite funny because there's some aspects of it that sort of make me laugh because I'm kind of like, actually, maybe maybe that's just because they didn't want any of their beloved people or their children to see us. 
um, or to even come near us because, you know, they believe we're so poisonous that they probably believe if they stood downwind from us, they might catch some immoral influence. Or, you know, that if they came close, they might see my little horns that are growing out of my forehead. Like, Or I've, you know, I've thought as well, like, they wouldn't want anyone who is still in the Brethren hearing us talking about how strongly Anna disagreed with the system. Yeah. Because I think yeah. that would be news to a lot of them. That's such a good point. And actually, now that I think about it, like even things like praying and sharing scriptures and talking about Anna's faith, like for them, they don't want Bruce Hales has taught multiple times, multiple times that if you leave, you cannot retain your Christian salvation and that you're going to lose your soul and things like this. Whereas, you know, so there was a, about in the end, there was about a dozen people who managed to make it at such short notice to this, to this chapel time with Anna. Um, and of them, a bundle of them were Christians they were, um, yeah, these older women who had been secretly writing to Anna for years. Um, there were there were other former members who were relatives like myself and Craig, um, and my father. There were there were others too who um, and others who sent through messages. Who like there was one couple who she had had a long friendship with, who she had just made um, made friends with them after bumping into them in a supermarket, and they'd struck up conversation with her. And they were Christian, and and she had continued this letter writing friendship with them for years. And so they they sent through um, messages to me too, and they wanted to be there, but they couldn't make it because of the short notice. But so, I guess that's that's another side of things that the brethren don't want to acknowledge uh, is that there are people who are out, outsiders, and who are um, former members who have still got a devout faith and I guess they don't want to hear people um, sharing those things and sharing because what we did then we had this lovely chapel time with her and we you know we sang some of her favorite hymns we sang um, it as well with my soul and what a friend we have in Jesus people shared reflections about you know their, their treasured memories of her um, people shared scriptures it was like a really really lovely time um, and and then we were shuffled out to another room by the funeral director, a secular funeral director, came and said, oh, the brethren want to move the body now. Um, and so, and then they, um, the brethren, four men came in um, with their white shirts, four brethren men, we could see them from a distance. Um, and a couple of them were relatives of mine. And they took her body and went and obviously put it in the grave Um and so, so for again, for the listener who might not be familiar with the brethren, the brethren only do uh, full burials. They don't do cremation and that type of thing. They take that very seriously. So they, yeah, they've got to do the full burial thing. Um, and so, yeah, so they took her body, and then just a few minutes later, not very long at all, we dad got a text from them saying, "You can now go to the graveside." And so off we all went to the graveside. Craig, do you want to share about that? Yeah, it was the strangest, strangest thing because the brethren are very big on filling in the grave. You know, a lot of um, non-brethren funerals, people just throw some sand or soil onto the into the grave and leave it at that. Um, and yeah. the brethren have always been very insistent that they completely infill the grave. And so like, highly, highly unusual for them to walk away and just leave a coffin sitting in a grave like this. And I thought the other thing that was really interesting was that the brethren didn't have a meeting room service for Anna's funeral. 
Um, and they just they just held a service in the family home, and I wonder if that is because um, if they had had a meeting in a meeting hall and they had denied us access to that meeting, that would open them up to criticism. And so rather than run the risk of having outs show up at the funeral meeting, they'll just have no funeral meeting at all. And I thought oh, that was um, that was quite strange. And, and to me, I wonder if it shows that they know that they are on shaky ground trying to deny outs access to funeral meetings. Yeah. And New Zealand's yeah. in the middle of a Royal Commission review right now, right? Or there was, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and the Royal Commission has spoken with dozens and dozens of former brethren um, about their, particularly the practice of separation and what that means for former members. And what we're hearing from people on the inside is that Bruce Hales is very worried about this Royal Commission is going to find. Um, right. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're on particularly high alert around some of these things because they know the Royal Commission is watching. And right. I mean, for this funeral to have, like, we've got three pivotal key people, right? You've got Lindy, who's, you've got the Olive Leaf Network. We've got Brayden that has the history of the whole uh, Bruce Hellstown, the rat poison stuff. And then we have Craig, who's a journalist. Like, I think they knew that there was no way around um, getting around this in the Royal Commission review. There, there would have been no way. It would have just sealed the deal for the Royal Commission to be able to come in. And here's a perfect example of, you know, three very outspoken people and to be denied that. Yeah, well, and the other thing is, is that my father, um, so he's, you know, he hasn't gone public with, um, with you know, his his journey, and um, I haven't actually checked off with him how much I can share, so I'll keep it really brief, but um, he was excommunicated only a couple of years ago and shut up for two years before that, and the only reason was because he challenged um, the Brethren leaders in Auckland over their, um, some financial decisions that were made um, he believes under the direction from Bruce Hales, and and they were financial decisions that directly benefited Bruce Hales's um, uh, uh, uni space company, I believe it was called at that point. So Dad had challenged this stuff because he was a school trustee, um, and that is why he got booted. And and you know, I also actually think that even though he's never gone public with a story, I think that they are possibly quite concerned yeah. about his. Um, what he could share as well, if he if he chose to, um, and he also was a trustee of my sorry, what do you call it? Yeah, uh, um, he was still an executor of my nana's will uh, that had not been taken off or changed, and oh, wow. um, and one of the you know first clauses of the will said that her funeral should be conducted according to her executor's wishes, and so she had a brethren executor and then my dad. And um, so legally as well, they, they would have known that, you know, they couldn't just override my dad's wishes here and completely cut him out. So it, it seemed like, you know, there were multiple threads that led to the brethren allowing this for us. Um, but, yeah, as Craig said, it was it was just so beautiful because we could spend time at the graveside. We were able to put flowers on. Normally the brethren don't allow flowers and do anything like that. They view that as just sentiment, sentimentality. Um, but we could sprinkle flowers down and, you know, we, we um, yeah, read the verse about 
um, the the flower of the field fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever and things like that. You know, it's not just sentimental nonsense. It's symbolic of of things and um, of things of faith. And then we got to, um, yeah, shovel the earth in over her and to be there for the closing of the grave. So also random random piece of information for New Zealand brethren, see to the bottom right of the image, there's tulips on a grave there. That grave is the grave of Darren Stanners, who died in Auckland um, oh, at least a couple of decades ago. And he was, I think he was only 16 when he suddenly died. And it, you know, it was one of those young people dying that kind of shocks everybody and, and the leaders say that it's the Lord speaking and that type of thing. And um, unbeknown to us, another former member of the Brethren had actually, who used to be friends with Darren as a young man, had visited Darren's grave the day before and placed that lovely bouquet Aww. of tulips. Um, and this person has since contacted me to say, oh, look, you know, I can see Darren's headstone in the corner of your pictures there, which is funny because the Brethren all bury themselves next to each other. Um, but, yeah, so I guess, like, you know, it was bittersweet, wasn't it, Craig? Because on the one hand, it felt so fitting that this woman who didn't cut us off in life also, you know, we weren't able to be cut off completely in death. And that I think Anna would have 110% agreed with it and loved to have, loved um, loved that we weren't forced out at the end. And I on think, the other I think hand... She would have, I think she would have loved that she didn't have a brethren meeting either. Yeah. <laughs> Given what you shared earlier about her sitting in the meetings crying. And oh their funeral services were awful. Like they they would never share about the person. They were very depersonalized, wouldn't they? It was more, you know, mm. you would read some scripture or talk about um like death or something, but it was never allowed. Like the brethren are very against sentimentality or emotion or even grieving. Like I remember one time seeing a friend crying sobbing loudly after a, a, a friend of ours had died and um she was like told off by a priest like absolutely shut down for like showing so much emotion it was seen as yeah so their funerals were, were awful and I think Anna would have loved um the service that we had for her but yeah I do want to also acknowledge that even though for us it felt like a celebration in some ways I want to acknowledge how absolutely screwed up it is that there were dozens and dozens and dozens of other of our direct family members, our parents and his other children, our cousins, who were nowhere to be seen at their nana's um, graveside ceremony. You know, that that is weird. Like there's a part of me that's sad that they missed out on that. They, for some reason, none of them came and wanted to be present at a graveside ceremony. Like, that's weird and that breaks my heart as well like it's you know it's actually, it's actually still not okay it's actually still really 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 screwed up mm -hmm. do you think that do you think that due to her beliefs about the brethren and the secret contact she kept in touch with people if they knew about that do you think that was another reason why they maybe never gave her the burial that they would have normally given? Could have been, eh, Craig? I mean, it's just speculating here, but that's been running through my head as you guys have been speaking that, you know, if they had, if they knew about these letters, if they knew about this contact that she was keeping, yeah. and 
I mean, it's just odd that they would hand the body right over to you and like let yeah. you do the feeling of the grave and everything. Like it's yeah, it's really like, strange. Part yeah. of me gets this really. feeling like, well, she was kind of already one foot out. Let's just yeah. let them have this. And we're also scoring some brownie points with the Royal Commission in in doing this. But, you know, she was already partial worldly. I've just thought of something. We've heard about them posthumously restoring people into fellowship. Have you heard about that? Like sometimes people have died mm -hmm. out and then the brethren have then like been like, oh, crap, we got that wrong. We should never have destroyed yes. that person. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, we're going to restore them. We've, we've heard of them being brought back, the judgment being reversed publicly in the assembly and then that person being posthumously brought back into fellowship which is completely bonkers, but I guess it gives the family some comfort because all of a sudden yeah. they can put their photographs back up on the wall of, of their father or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm just cracking up, Craig, because I'm thinking yeah. maybe they're going to posthumously withdraw from her. <laughs> um, well, that could yes, happen that, after watching this. <laughs> um, that, that exact thing happened to my great-grandparents, Archie and Barbara Smith, who were withdrawn from and then it all got reversed at the time of the review, and then their names came back into the photo books. It was really strange. Oh, my gosh, that's so weird. Um, but I think also with Anna, the, the brethren don't know the half of how she went on, like, you know, talking to your dad, and we were quoting from her letters and saying all these things, and he, he was, even as her own son, he had no he idea had no that idea. any of this was going on. <laughs> yeah. He had no idea. He he said they're going to be really shocked when they find out a bunch of this stuff that they just didn't know. Yeah. Although I wonder what she did over the years with all those letters, like especially as she started to get dementia. They must have found a stack of them, surely. Yeah. I and think she, was she, I wouldn't be surprised if she destroyed a lot of, she was very, very careful about covering her tracks. And so all yeah. these letters and things that we have now are letters that have been fed back to us, like from yeah, my grandpa, the... for instance. Um, and it wasn't until we cleared out my grandpa's belongings, he died in 2019. It wasn't yeah. until we cleared out his flat that we found these years and years of letters wow. with his sister Anna. Um, yeah. And Anna had been so careful, like even right through the time that she was talking to me. She never told me that she was also talking to my grandpa. No, um, yeah. Yeah. And it I just came as a yeah. came as such a shock to us when we were clearing out grandpa's papers to find all these letters. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Then she would have been a great spy or something, wouldn't have she been? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, like as we you know head towards potentially winding this up, there are some things I'd love listeners, especially if they're current or former brethren, to think about. One one is that you know, I mean, maybe I'm just a particularly sort of planned sort of person who likes to think about things in advance but I do encourage you to think in advance now if you've got elderly parents or grandparents or relatives in the brethren you know sooner or later that question is going to come to you of of the news that they've deceased and what are you going to do about it um but I encourage you to think about in advance because it just it's obviously an emotionally charged event anyway and I think it does help to like have 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 tried to communicate with your your insider relatives in advance about what your expectations are and everyone's situation is really different like obviously with Anna we wanted to try and be there because hey we knew she loved us and we knew we loved her whereas um 
I know that for some people, their relationships with their insider family members are so strained that it might actually be way too psychologically stressful um, or their parent might have like been such a stickler for the rules that their parent might have not wanted them there or whatever the case may be. But I guess in short, I encourage people to think about that in advance about what they might like. And um, secondly, I would say, you know, I encourage you to do what we did, like to to draw on, um, to lean into your rights. Like you have rights as yeah. as a, as a family member to be able to pay respects to your loved ones. And of course, there's different legalities around that, like um, whether the funeral is held in a public place of worship or not, whether it's in a private burial grounds or it's public burial grounds. But, you know, find out your rights, lean into them, use the faith and practice document, even if you're not in the UK. But if you're in the UK, definitely do that. There's absolutely provision made there for former members, no matter who you are, and, um, you know, what whether you're an opposer because you've dared to speak up or not, you, you have rights to go and spend time and say goodbye to your loved ones. So I encourage people to, you know, the separation is not from our side. So don't find yourself abiding by it if it's not what you believe in and what you want. And I always attach the faith and practice document. After every podcast, it's always in the comments below so there'll be a link there always just click on it read through it so that you you're aware of those rights and i just want to echo what lydney's saying is that this is a choice you have and this is what it could look like and honestly this is what it should be i mean obviously ultimately it would be perfect if everybody was there together and there is no um religious strain put on this kind of a situation but i i understand we're not there yet one day let's hope we are but i think the more and more people realize what this could look like through lindy and craig's situation will really maybe push it to them to realize that no this this is how it should be done and they're hopefully eventually it can be something that's done together both ins and outs that's what it should be right a mainstream christian church should be doing it together yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a really important detail around the faith and practice document yeah. is that is a document that the brethren wrote. This yeah. is not a document they were forced to write. This is a document that Bruce Hales and the legal team that he hired and put in place um, came up with this document, and they have filed it legally in answer to the Charity Commission's um, questions so this is not a document that has been forced on them this is a document they wrote and said this is what we can live with this is what we're committing to do so you're not asking for something that they don't already know they're committed to do this is something that they said they would do it's holding them accountable right that's what every single one of these podcasts is for it's about accountability it's holding them accountable and when you know what is inside that faith and practice document, um, exercising your rights, if you choose to, not everybody, I've laid out with my siblings on what what I choose to do in the event of my parents passing away. And it's different than Lindy's due to my circumstances. But it is important to have that laid out because it is a very, it's a day that all of us don't want to anticipate what goes down and those are a lot of emotions and so that if you can think about it pre 
pre this happening and then writing a letter is such a good way. I think it's incredible how you guys thought about this previously to it being happening. And then you had, you already got through a lot of those um, messages that would have come back at you and how you were going to handle this, right? Mm -hmm. You got to weed through some think, of those emotions. Yeah. And I think one of the other important things is for people who say that Anna's funeral was a one-off. Um, <clears throat> one of my other aunties died last week um, and her funeral was on the same day as Anna's actually. And they, they didn't go quite as far, but the brethren did invite the non-brethren relatives to the graveside and they were much more integrated with the brethren at the graveside than has previously happened. And they also wow. invited they also invited her non-brethren daughter to come and choose what clothes she was going to be buried in as a sign of respect so that she was included wow. in the funeral arrangements. And so this, Anna's is not a one-off case. Like the brethren are able to say compromise because that's a dirty word to the brethren but the the brethren are able to come to an arrangement to make sure that people are respected and included um, yeah. and so it's like you know people don't have to do what we did but figure out what works for you and make yeah. sure that they know that that's what you want and was that yeah. in new zealand too craig it, it was yeah and i mean i really hope i like i mean you always we look for these little sliver slivers of hope that come our way and you're like oh please like let's let's hope that this is that we're we're changing yeah. things here i hope that it's not just because of this royal commission review that's happening in new zealand right now and it's not just a way to save some face right now i do hope that this is something but i mean again it comes down to those ex-brethren again all of us reaching out for those same requests and again it's like accountability holding them accountable to what they already agreed on way back in 2012 Mm -hmm. and it wasn't that lindy and i wanted to cause trouble with this we went out to cause a scene we didn't no. want to cause any distress to anyone we just wanted the bare minimum of being able to pay tribute to someone who we loved and to not be disrespected through that process mm, that's right yeah and on on this note of funerals um let's also just have a quick chat about some other practical things because um around funerals and death because um it's it's a topic that's not fun, but it's so important to talk about some of these things. I also encourage um, former members to make sure that you have a will, no matter what your age, because, hey, any of us could drop dead at any point. Um, so don't just wait till you're old. Um, and if, you're, if you are older, go and make sure that it's been revised recently and that you're happy with it, um, especially if you've got next of kin who are in the Brethren, because um, there are also stories around of people who have died on the outside, but because their next of kin were brethren, um, that, you know, those brethren next of kin then were able to come in and take charge of the proceedings around the body and the funeral. And there's, there's been some quite, you know, disturbing stories around power dynamics there and who has who has who gets to have the say over what happens to someone's funeral and their will distribution and the assets and that type of thing when um that's possibly not what the, the deceased person would have wanted and so it's really important i think if you're a former member and you do have relatives on the inside um to make it really clear in your will what what your wishes are um yeah who who are your executors and also i think it's really important to add an enduring power of attorney 
as well. Um, you know, that person who, if you do lose your mind through dementia or some other reason, that you have chosen an enduring power of attorney who you trust. Because again, otherwise, that that um, enduring power of attorney could go to somebody who's still in the brethren and who might have conflicting um, conflicting ways of going about it than what you wanted. So yeah, just a shout out around that. Mm. Think ahead, you're going to die one day, get prepared for it. And you can specify in your will that you don't want the um, exclusive brethren or PBCC to have any involvement yep. in your funeral arrangements. Yep, you can, yep. Yeah, yep. And, and same with care of your children, things like that. Um, making sure that you've sussed out, specified, you know, who you want to have care of your children. Because, again, it could go back to blood next of kin through through state um, if the state ends up caring, yeah, making those decisions. When my husband just had, he had his heart transplant three years ago and we, we did ours up and I specifically have in mind that the exclusive brethren, Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, no family members are allowed to have anything to do with my and it's very you can be very specific the lady that we worked with um obviously i explained to her my situation and she shot she told me how to specifically write it out so that there was absolutely no way around them getting a hold of either my assets my body my the children anything and so it is super important to find someone that you can even work with to help yeah. you write it out yeah, that's it is, really it is super important yeah. to do. It is very important to do. Yeah. And again, um, you know, it's not to say that you might not welcome brethren family members to come to the funeral service. Like when Uncle George died, eh, Craig? We we notified the brethren members and said there's an open invite, but of course none of them came. But yeah, it's not about it's not about keeping separate from that type of normal grieving proceedings, but it's about yeah, those dynamics of um it's about who gets of, your body, right? Like you if you yeah. don't want your body going back to the brethren, that's what you, to be yeah. specific about. Yeah, all that all that sort of thing. Yeah. And again as well, um also a reminder for people to follow up and and check in around how assets have been distributed once someone has died. Because again, um, usually in most countries, as I understand it, if you're a, if you are the biological child of somebody, you do have rights to um, some of the deceased's assets. Is that right, Craig? And yet there are multiple accounts again, multiple accounts of um, of of it seems like um, a person's assets being distributed primarily among the brethren offspring, and then some of it going to brethren entities. Um, and then like either none or a nominal amount being given to those on the outside, um, which is, it's just really unfair. And many times it's not actually what the parent would have wanted. There's, there's stories of, you know, people who know that their parent loved them and wanted to care for them and wanted things to be evenly distributed between their children, but um, but who, you know, the, the decision-making got taken out of their hands or they were pushed around as an elderly person to um to give their money to brethren entities or whatever. So yeah, check out those things as well. Even if you're on the outside, follow up and, and check out those things and just make sure that what's happened is fair because you can contest it. Yeah, Carmen's very good at finding will stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people don't realize that in in a lot of countries, wills are actually publicly accessible. 
Wow. Um, that's so, fascinating. Yeah. so if you need help, email Carmen. Oh, that's <laughs> fascinating, Carmen. I did not know that. Yes. Yes. Wow. Um, and um, public, they're, they're actually public record. Oh, yeah. my gosh, I did not know that. So when I die, everyone's going to see that I'm giving all my assets to the SPCA. <laughs> and, um, yeah. In New Zealand, you can go to the National Archives and request copies of people's wills. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. it'll cost you about 20 cents a sheet to get it photocopied because they'll be still in the traditional... Um, some of the ones oh, that I have yeah. were filed, yeah. you know, 50 years ago, and they'll oh, still be in the ledger format. So they're held together with the long metal um, thingies because they don't scan them in. I think it's like, I think the cutoff was like 1995 in in the ones that I have pulled. Um, yeah. And so it'll be in the traditional handwritten and hand-signed format. So when you get them, oh, they're actually oh. photocopies. Yeah. Wow. That's it's really cool. There you go. So listeners who want to know, you know, if they were in their parents or grandparents will have passed away, you can look that up, find yeah. it out. There is yeah. usually a time limit to contest it though, right? Like there is a, there's there's a time limit to contest it. That's right. Yeah. I think it's normally within a year or something. Yeah. 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 There is time Every limit. different country has a different time frame and different rules around it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so there you go. There's a story. Are we, tale of Anna's life and for those um, of you who would like to know more about Anna here's a wee plug for Craig's book which is coming out very very soon how soon now Craig a couple of weeks November. so about four weeks about four weeks so Craig's excited book coming out and yeah and he shares a lot more about George's life there and Anna also does feature extensively in the book so maybe um maybe as well she thought she'd save herself the embarrassment and kick the bucket before that came out <laughs> if they if they if they're not withdrawing from her in the next few weeks they will after they've read your book hey craig <laughs> uh, she gets her freedom after she passes away <laughs> yeah. So true. Yeah. Uh, well thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing the details of this i know a lot of people who are watching it on social media will be very pleased to be able to have the long version of what you went through and I'll attach the links to Craig's news articles again on this podcast for those that maybe have missed it on the first one. And we're also going to add a link to Craig's book that is going to be coming out in November. And also, Craig, you have something that we can add at the end of this in the description too. It's a letter. Can you explain to the listeners and viewers what that letter is? Yeah, so this is a letter that my grandpa wrote after he was withdrawn from in 1981. Um, he had for a few years been um, disagreeing with how the brethren were going under Symington and his, um, his, his vision actually was that he would um, get his thoughts together and get up at a ministry meeting on a Tuesday night and lay out to the brethren calmly and rationally why he thought Symington was wrong, <laughs> um, which, was a, um, which was always a, a bold pipe dream. Um, and in the in the end, um, events sort of conspired against him and he ended up um, being dobbed in by his wife, my grandma, for not reading the ministry and he was withdrawn from before he had a chance to give his <laughs> give his address at the ministry meeting and give his word. What do they call them at Tuesday nights? Addresses? Words? 
I forget. Um, words, yeah. And words, yeah. And so what he did was he, because he hadn't been able to deliver his word, he wrote a letter to the Brethren in Wellington um, stating his position. He called it a brief statement of a momentous issue. Um, and we'll share the full letter here. But basically what he is drawing attention to is that um, he doesn't believe it's right for the Brethren to be following um one man who they're putting at the level of Paul and he's saying there is only one Paul. He says Paul has gone um, and we can't be elevating um, a flawed man to this position of um, God essentially that um, <clears throat> this has gone beyond what scripture would justify. Um, and he posted a copy of this letter to all of the brethren in Wellington and this was the letter that his sister, Lindy's um, Nana Anna, um, wrote decades later and read decades later. And she wrote back to George and said she agreed with every word. Um, and yeah. so we'll just share this here for anyone else who may be interested in um, the perspective of someone who was withdrawn from in 1981, just to show that these sort of concerns are not new. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good, Craig. And I should dig out, I'm a bit embarrassed to actually, but I should dig out the letter that I wrote to Bruce Hales as well in 2008 because it had some strong overlap of exactly those same questions there where I was asking, where are we getting this thing of the elect vessel from? I don't get how we're elevating this person so much. And, you know, I look back at that letter now that 20-year-old me wrote and I'm a bit embarrassed by some of it, but... um. But maybe I, you know, I can share it with you too, um, Cheryl and Carmen. Yeah, all the on. links will be below this description, okay. and so make sure you go on there, and we'll find because it's kind of a contrast of like, yeah, yeah 1981. Did you say Craig? And then 19, uh, 2008, and it's like the same questions are being, you know, yeah. And this is um, this is not a not a new thing and I cover this in my book like we're talking about Lindy's letter in 2008 and then my grandpa's letter in 1981. I've got letters from my great-grandparents generation in the 1960s about how deeply concerned they were about wow. tailors and then you go back even further and my great-great-grandfather being deeply concerned about um, Taylor Senior and yeah. this is this has been going on for 200 yeah. years now. Like and my it's, going great... to, it's going to carry on by the looks. Like we're going to have yeah. children and grandchildren writing letters in 2038 and 58 unless, <laughs> something, unless something changes. It's so distressing. Mm. People need yeah. to and maybe, like Maybe also just a word here to the people who were never in the Brethren, who have been affected by this as well. And we saw this at Anna's funeral, um, that her first cousins, who she had grown up with before the separation days, um, are now in their 70s and 80s, and they're still deeply, deeply traumatised by what happened when their grandparents suddenly cut them off in the 1960s, when their cousins suddenly disappeared. Um, and I talked to some of those cousins who have never been in the Brethren but are still really, really impacted by it. So the sort of the tentacles of Brethren control go far, far beyond just the people who are in fellowship now and the people who have left. Yeah, so true. So that's a really good point. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to your book. It is probably the one book I've looked so so much forward to, to when it's coming out. So we'll attach a link to that below as well. Any questions, you email us at info.getalife at proton.me. Get a hold of Lindy at the Olive Leaf Network. 
And we are all here to help you guys if you have any questions. Thanks so Talk much, everyone, for joining. <laughs> See you later. Much love to you all. Bye. Bye. If you are in a high-demand religious group and need help, please go to alloflief.network. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me. Please remember to like this video Subscribe to get a life and comment.